Hello there, and welcome to the Lutheran Diaconal Association's series on the five images of the diaconate. We are so glad that you are here today to learn a little more about what it means to be a deacon or a deaconess. The images of the diaconate were developed by a scholar by the name of Antonia Lynn in an article she wrote from the book, The Deacon's Ministry. But the definitions I want to share with you today are interpreted by LDA Deaconess and Emeritus Executive Director, our most beloved E. Louise Williams. Today, in this podcast, we get to hear from a deacon or a deaconess about their work and how it reflects one of the five images. But first, let's start with a quick definition of one of those images. Table server. Table server is responding to the hungers in the world today for bread, for meaning, for spiritual nourishment, for community, for the bread of life. It responds to those hungers with the gifts of the people of God. We have the opportunity not only to bring bread, but also to become bread for those we seek to serve. Table waiting includes satisfying physical, emotional, and spiritual hungers. Sometimes, table waiting allows for others to use their gifts to serve. Okay. Hello, Deaconess Diana. Hello, Deaconess Adrian. Hi. Thank you for doing this podcast with us today. Um, you and I, uh, even though you were consecrated in 1977, you and I go back since before I was consecrated, right? Because when I was a student in 2014, around 2015, I, I stayed in your house a lot. Yes. <laughs> you were the first home that I stayed in the very first time I came to Valpo for the program. And I was terrified. I was so confused and you just calmed my nerves so well. And I'll, I'll just never forget that. I'll never forget how calming it was to come home to you after my first experience with the student seminar. So thank you for that. I remember and very yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah. Look how far we all come in these journeys. (laughs) I know. This is wonderful. So um, as I mentioned, you were consecrated in 1977. Can you tell us a little bit about the work that you did, which I call it work, but even though it was public work, it was a ministry as well. So tell us what you did as a, a deaconess. Um, my first uh, call basically was actually my internship. I worked for a non-for-profit called Family and Youth Service Bureau, and I was a house parent with um, teenage girls that needed to be removed from their homes for various reasons, time out, and we would provide services to them. And I lived in that home and did that and took care of them. When I look back on that, I was like 21 and 22, taking care of uh, 15 to 17 year olds. You know, I wasn't, but yeah, that was uh, one of the early things that I did. 
Um, and then I, I also mm -hmm. work later for another nonprofit. I started a children's program for a shelter for domestic violence victims. And I was the first person that they mm -hmm. hired to be a child advocate. Um, I did work at one point um, part-time while I was having my children as a youth director um, at, a, at a church. And mm -hmm. then I focused my ministry after that on where I felt called the most, and I was in education. And so I got several licenses. I went back to college and got several licenses in education, and I taught middle and high school special education. And then I taught general ed fifth grade. And then for about 12 years, I was an administrator over special education in an urban school setting. So most of my service mm -hmm. has been in oh. the public realm. And ironically, after I retired, I was asked to come back to work and I still work part-time for a non-for-profit mental health agency. And I now do education for seniors about substance use um, problems and wellness. Wow. wow, what a needed ministry, absolutely. Oh my goodness, that's a little niche that you don't think about um, substance abuse with the with the aging. Yeah, oh, wonderful. But one thing that um, I want to talk to you about today is the diagonal image of the table server. Your ministry that you do today at your church with the homeless and providing housing for them six months out of the year how tell us a little bit about that ministry and then if you could speak a bit about how that reflects that image of table serving yeah yeah that there's so many pieces to that it may be succinct but there's a lot of pieces to that um mm -hmm. about 12 years ago um I was in a book group and we read the book um, written by a journalist who traveled the US and tried to live on minimum wage. And I believe the book was called How to Not Get Along in America. And the subtitle was Living on Minimum Wage. And it led several of us oh. after we read the book to say, what is God calling us to do? And um, three women, me being one of them, we met regularly for prayer and found out that there was a shelter in our area and that the, it's for men and they have a day center, but they did not have anywhere for them to go at night. So they were actually camping out on the streets and on that kind of thing when the program first started. And there was a, just mm -hmm. when we were praying about this, a coalition of churches started getting involved and saying, this is not going to work. And the churches stepped up mm -hmm. and they started housing the men. This is a traditional program that is across the U.S. Many places do this. It's called the PADS program, P-A-D-S. And they sleep at churches so that during the day they get all their day treatment, their management. There's actually a resale shop. They can work. They can get help um, figuring out if they you know, need Social Security or disability. There's a lot of services that happen for them during the day. At night, they sleep at churches. My church, I helped our church. Um, step up into this. We kind of did this slowly, but um, to step up into this, and we now have been at least 11 years consistently, we've had them sleep at our church every Saturday night from April 15th to October 15th. 
Um, and I am one of the coordinators of that ministry, but I, my role specific that I do every week is coordinate meals. So one of the things that I started yeah. doing early on, besides um, recruiting, I do temple talks at church. We get signups. It takes weeks because they have to sleep at our church. We have to provide all night coverage. So there's a lot that's involved of volunteers. But early on, um, when I was recruiting and talking to groups at church, I also help people um, be comfortable eating with the men that stay at our church. So we do training for each role that um, all of us play, whether they're doing an overnight, whether they do intake or like me doing the meals. Um, we, I would sit down with the group that would sign up and train them about how to just have conversation. Um, and so when you mentioned the word community, that is a definite um, intentional mm -hmm. thing that I've tried to build into this. And, and I often just tell them even, and I, uh, they do serve the meal that they stand behind what they put out on this very long table. And I encourage them to actually serve mm -hmm. it, um, to the men and maybe have conversation about this is my mom's recipe. It's this kind of chicken. I hope you like it. <laughs> and it's amazing that alone, has been it opens up so much conversation um just to kind of make it warm yeah. and welcoming um and then i do mm -hmm. encourage them when they're done serving to sit down and just ask is it okay if i sit with you and have conversation yes and you know what diana that makes me think of um a conversation i had with um uh uh Brenda Bauer just yesterday, Deaconess Brenda, and we were talking about, um, you know, becoming comfortable in places that can be, that are unfamiliar and that you're not comfortable in. And that is, I think, direct training and formation that we receive when we go into the world and do our work as deaconesses. We don't just do the work. There's one thing to just do it rotely and feed, serve, slop the food on the plate. Well, you might not even slop it. You might do it tenderly, but that's a actionable thing. We learn how to do, we're trained in our formation to do it in a, from a place of mutuality. That's what you just explained to me. Yeah. Is you, you, have, you are mutual with these people. They are also God's child and human beings, and you can find connection anywhere, right? And this is, I think that is absolutely brilliant that you do that because a lot of these ministries, they don't offer that training really, and they should, right? <laughs> and you know, it's amazing. Um, I never have problems getting meal providers at, um, through my church. It's amazing because once they try it, they're like really afraid at first because they don't know what the homeless will yeah. be like. And once they try it, mm -hmm. some of them are so hooked. Once they get, they find mm -hmm. out what these people are like, um, it becomes more comfortable. And we never refer to them. At, we call them our guests. We always say welcome mm. guests to our church. We call them in all our emails. We call them our overnight guests. Um, our pastors mm -hmm. pray for them regularly in the church services. Um, 
It, it just, yeah, we just incorporate. This is what our pastor calls this our premier ministry because it gets so many people. Mm. It takes a lot of hands to do this for six months to be mm -hmm. to cover and all it's night holistic. Long. Yeah, and it just sounds holistic. Again, it goes beyond just providing a basic need. Right. You know, yes, there's a need for food and shelter, but it goes into having, it's holistic in the sense that they, you know, um, your guests have an opportunity to have a conversation where they might not regularly, you know, when they're on the streets or if people don't want to talk to them, um, you provide so a social, that community component, and then your pastor remembers them in prayer. They're not forgotten, you know, when it's not that night, you know, to serve them. They're remembered throughout the spiritual community. So another one of those um, definitions that this ministry um, um reflects in that definition that we hear from from louise your i have a question about your training so how um, do you have a curriculum since you are an educator do you have a curriculum that show, helps people to uh, learn how to be in the community and communicate with those that they are serving so um because we've been doing this as long as we have in there they um because of zoning i should explain this so that'll help because of zoning they can only stay for so many days um overnight here in the in the mm -hmm. state that we live in so there are six mm -hmm. other churches that they rotate to if they're not at our church they're at others and so there is a an mm -hmm. overnight guide that the agency kind of helped with but our church took the lead on to clean that up and so we have an overnight guide mm -hmm. that explains like exactly the details of things like um, how do you do prayer when you're doing the prayer in the beginning before dinner? It even includes like telling them about the fire alarm system. I mean, we have a, so there's a sheet that we give people and we have different sheets for different uh, jobs. We have a laundry team. We have a pantry team, my meal team, um, the oh intake team, which also involves more social and conversation. Um, and then the two mm -hmm. overnight teams. So we have, um, we've created this over the years, the leader team has. So we, we've adapted mm -hmm. it and, you know, fixed it up. Each year we say, oh yeah, maybe we mm -hmm. should add this. And we've gotten better at it. And we share it mm -hmm. with other churches. We, I've had people contact me and ask if they could use it for even recruitment. So people are not overwhelmed. It tells you what to expect. Here's what you do when you show up. We have forms for them to fill out so they can give us details of how the night went. Mm -hmm. What was served? Okay, that's great. <laughs> if you don't mind, I'll put that. Yeah, I'll put that in the show notes. So if people want to yeah. start something like this at their church, they can contact you and we'll talk later. You'll tell me the best way that they can contact you. Yep. But I think the work that you're doing in this ministry is truly diagonal. Um, and it's, it's, I feel like it's sort of, it's in the church literally because that's where the work happens, but it almost feels like it's, it's a, it's outside of the church as well. Do you have that sense? 
Oh, yeah. I don't think, I mean, without my background um, as a deaconess, even, I know, in the public world that I was in for so long between the non-for-profits that I worked with and then the, being in a public school, um, it really helped me to be very comfortable with this population, like right away. So I didn't have any problem leading the church forward with it. Um, and one of my first jobs as a public school teacher, when I was teaching special ed is I worked with high school boys, mostly that had emotional disabilities or learning disabilities. Um, mm. And this is, <laughs> even though these are grown men, I, that's overlaps, you know, um, there's a lot of overlap to what, um, creates, um, a situation where somebody finds them homeless. Um, sometimes mm. they struggle with school and, you know, uh, or, um, they were substance users or things, their health changed and they lost their job or got divorced. So having worked with those boys for a number of years really gave me a comfort and one story I'll share, which I think is interesting, we have several men on the team, and this does not happen often. Mostly our, our guests are, it, they really need us, so they respect being at our church. They don't want to lose their home, so sometimes they monitor mm -hmm. each other. But we've had a situation where there was a near fight. Um, that almost broke out. And the, the one of the other men was a leader on that. And I happened to be helping with the meal. And he came and got me to break it, to stop it, <laughs> to talk to the men. And I had no problem because I had teenage, the teenage high school students I taught were often like, there were many things I had to deal with. And I'm like, no, we're not doing this. And here's what, here's what needs to happen. And he was so uncomfortable with it, but I just like, no problem. But again, yeah, God uses I, all of that. I mean, all of the all things of it. God uses. I would never have expected if somebody would have told me that I was going to do this and keep on doing it every year. Um, I would not have, I would have said, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that story is so funny to me because it's um, so our viewers don't realize this, but you're not a big woman. You're not a big. No, <laughs> you're not a tall, not. big woman. <laughs> right. You're a small woman. And he came to get you. Yeah. That's yeah, awesome. But, That's yeah. beautiful. And I but it wasn't the strength of your of even oh, no. your physical strength that you needed. You didn't need that. You're saying it was your past experiences that God had placed in your life that you were able to use. That's really beautiful. Wow. Wow. So and I think that's helpful too for people who might be considering um um, the diaconate as their call, because sometimes I hear um, potential students, and I say students, I don't mean necessarily young people, you know, in school age, we have tons of people who contact us, who are um, second career adults, retired, some of them, mm -hmm. and they feel like it's too late, I didn't do it earlier. Um, but what you're saying is all that stuff you did before coming to the diaconate shouldn't keep you from answering the call. It should actually encourage you because God's giving you all of those, those skills and experiences that can be used in the diaconate. So thank you for that, that sharing that story for people as well.
who might be considering. And I can yeah. tell you, having been a deaconess for 46 years now, my the every every position I had, even though I was all outside the church, um, but always a deaconess and being intentional about using that the community was essential for me. Our community uh, is essential and all the things that we do and the support we have and the way we keep on growing and offer each other more professional development and all of that just mm -hmm. continue to, um, I just continue to evolve. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in to learn a little more about what it means to be a deacon or a deaconess. If you are feeling called to the diaconate after hearing this or hearing all five of the images and want to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with an LDA deacon or deaconess, or perhaps you're discerning how your ministry could benefit from having a deacon or a deaconess in your congregation, you can find us at thelda.org or reach out to me, Deaconess Adrian. My info is in the show notes. Sending you Phoebe love. Bye-bye for now.